Yeah, my experience is that most people like vacation sex more than any other kind of sex. But there's definitely a subgroup of people who they feel so much pressure around vacation sex that it leads them to actually not enjoy the vacation sex. So when we decided to do this episode based around sex and travel, we started reaching out to our friends and colleagues and listeners for personal stories. And we got those, but we also got a lot of questions too. Questions that I definitely don't feel qualified to answer. So we called someone who is qualified. My name is Vanessa Marin. I am a sex therapist based in LA and I help people take their sex lives and relationships from ordinary to extraordinary. I think the reason that most of us love vacation sex is because it's taking us out of our routine. It's taking us out of our rut. So for most of us couples in long-term relationships, we have this routine that we've gotten into with each other. You know, it's like we have dinner together. Maybe we watch a little bit of Netflix on the sofa while we're each scrolling through our phones and then we get ready for bed and it's not exactly sexy, right? It's But when you're out on vacation, everything is different. You're completely out of your comfort zone and all of the stresses and anxieties and frankly, like the boredom of day-to-day life is gone. And, you know, the stress in particular, I think is something that we really can't downplay. Like stress is the number one killer of sex drives. Vacation sex is such a perfect example of just how huge of an impact stress has. When you're on vacation, you're away from the stresses and responsibilities of daily life. Like there's a sense of freedom and we feel so much more excited about connecting with our partner, so much more, you know, intimate with them. So that really adds to it too. And then one other little thing that I'll say is it can be really sexy being in a hotel. You know, there's just something so sexy about a fresh bed that's been made for you. There's no clutter around. You're not distracted by the like cobwebs in the corner or the pile of laundry that you've been putting off for days. So maybe you played around with some new sex positions in the hotel or a little bit of exhibitionism, leaving your windows cracked open a little bit. You know, that could be something that you could bring home as a fun little travel souvenir that you could bring home too. The question we got the most was why is vacation sex so much better? And I think that explained it pretty well, but we wanted to open up the floor to some other queries too. I was wondering why people always seem to lose their inhibitions when they travel and are so much more down for one night stands and random hookups. When you're in a different place, you kind of can imagine a different version of yourself. And I think traveling in general, it helps us feel more open to other possibilities, not just this little sliver of life that we've carved out for ourselves. So I think a lot of us can see ourselves and our sex lives in different lights and can be more open to, ooh, what would it be like to connect with this person? There's also a sense of anonymity when you're traveling too. You know, when you're back at home, you might worry about, oh God, am I gonna run into this guy, at, you know, at the grocery store, <laughs> in line at the drugstore or something like that. So there's a way that we can feel more free, more open, less inhibited, and yeah, more excited to do things that are even more out of our comfort zone. I have a question. I'd like to know, why do couples always seem to fight on vacation, especially since the point of vacations are to relax? 
So vacations can be really tricky for couples. I think a lot of us build up this really romantic idea in our heads of, oh, we're gonna go on this great vacation. It's gonna be so relaxing. We're gonna have all the sex. And then we get there and reality sits in where, you know, we're jet lagged, we're really tired. Somebody wants to go see the cathedral and the other person couldn't care less. Um, and it just can get really frustrating and can be very challenging. You know, traveling is hard. And I think there's a certain level of travel chemistry that couples need to have. Like, do you guys travel in the same kind of way? So I think there are a couple of things that we can do to prevent getting in fights on vacations. First one is to talk beforehand about what your expectations are. I think a lot of times we can get into trouble if we go into the trip with totally different expectations. One partner thinks it's this romantic getaway. The other partner thinks we're doing all the history and sightseeing kind of stuff. So get on the same page beforehand. You can also talk about what tend to be some of the challenges for you. So does one partner get really overwhelmed trying to look at the maps? Does the other partner get hangry if they've been walking around for a while and they haven't had a snack? So try to learn from past experiences that you might have had. And then, you know, when you're in the moment itself, just trying to be extra patient with each other and allow yourself to kind of, you know, get upset, have a little conversation about something, but don't let that derail the entire vacation. So take a little bit of time to iron out whatever miscommunication happened or upset happened, and then really try your best to reset so you can enjoy the rest of your trip. All right, so big thanks to Vanessa for sharing some of her expertise. If you want to find more of her work and her advice, there's a link in our description. So now that we have some context here, we can turn our attention to the handful of personal stories we've received on the admittedly very personal subject of sex and travel. We have tales of hookups gone right and wrong, the story of a couple that's gained hundreds of thousands of followers by documenting their stays at America's most dramatic sex hotels, a first-hand account of what it's like to attend Young Swingers Week at Hedonism in Jamaica, and much more. We've actually never done this before, but I do want to lead with a disclaimer. Some of these stories get kind of graphic, so if you're offended by descriptions of sex acts or body parts, that type of stuff, you should probably switch to one of our more PG-13 episodes. But for all those who wish to continue, we're about to get right into it. I'm Will Fulton with a very not-safe-for-work edition of Thrillist Explorers. And I look around and there's just people having sex all around me. There's three girls going down on each other. At the bar, there's a guy having sex with his wife or someone else's wife or whatever while he's waiting for a drink. I mean, there was a, a guy getting a blowjob probably. Can I say blowjob on, on the radio? Is that okay? Yes? All right. Well, so there's a guy getting a blowjob, you know, two feet from my head. All right. I'm Matt Meltzer. I am a uh, travel writer from Miami, Florida. I've written for Thrillist, among other publications. And I got an invitation from these people who ran something called Young Swingers Week. So Hedonism 2 is a resort in Negril, Jamaica. It is on the far side of Seven Mile Beach, right next to Sandals. It is an adults-only clothing optional resort. That's the official tagline. It's a very welcoming environment in so many ways but it's, uh, it, it is a swingers resort, and that is what people go there to do. Now, the knock on it is that the crowd skews older. If you're older, that's great. If you're 30, well, maybe, you know, you don't want to spend the weekend having sex with people in their 60s, and that's, you know, understandable. 
So this company, this group got together. They're called Young Swingers Week. And what they do is throw an event. They take over the resort for a couple weeks a year, one in the spring, one in the fall. And the criteria is you have to be under 45 to attend. So I thought, well, this would be great. So I invited a friend. She couldn't go that week. And she said, oh, but I have this friend who would love to go with you. And she sends me a picture and this girl is gorgeous. She was a stripper. Let's just cut it down. She was a stripper. It starts out fairly normal. You know, it's kind of like going to a resort. People are naked or half naked walking around. It's kind of like a normal resort that you meet another couple from somewhere and you have a nice conversation. But then instead of saying, hey, you guys want to go play doubles tennis? It's like, hey, uh, so we have some toys back there. You want to go play with them? And next thing you know, some guy is watching you do his wife. And this is a very different experience than going to, say, sandals or something like that. They had different classes, orgasm contests. They had crazy story contests. And again, they got to keep you entertained during the day because I think most of the action happens at night. They have a big playroom where people go at night. You you go in there and there are various, you know, orgy activities going on. The girl I was there with had a proclivity for something called pegging. And if you're not familiar with pegging, pegging is where a girl straps on a dildo and lubes up the guy's backside and it was okay you know hey you're into pegging you're into pegging that's fine you know everybody's into different things and she said well i want to find a guy to peg i said all right fine you know you want to do that we can go out we'll find a couple we're walking by the bar one night and there's a guy sitting there trying to put a butt plug in his ass in front of a crowd of about 10 people and everybody's yelling and screaming and laughing and giving him shots and my date goes that's my guy that's what we're doing You know, I think what I learned from it the most, though, was that after about the second day, everyone is naked and everyone is having sex. And part of the fun of sex, right, is that I don't want to say it's the unknown, but it's the, hey, we're out at dinner, we're having drinks, I get you back to my place, we get our clothes off and we get to do our thing. You know, when everyone is just naked and there to fuck anyway, there's no anticipation, there's no excitement. It's just sex, sex, sex all the time. And After about two days of that, you become desensitized. And so it's not, I hate to say it, it's not that exciting. The other interesting takeaway I got was that most of these people were normal, career-oriented, married people from all over the country. I met couples from Utah, from rural Washington State, from Maine, from places where being a swinger is like, oh, we we don't go by their house, you know? And this was their week. This was their week to get out and really be themselves. I really do think it is a better thing to do if you are in a relationship that is, you know, ostensibly monogamous or at least, you know, you're not having sex with new people every week. It's a chance to go out and do that. And I see why for them, spending a week getting naked with a bunch of strangers is great. By day two, day three, it really is sensory overload. By the seventh day, I kind of just wanted to take a shower and put on some clothes and go meet somebody who was also wearing clothes and then maybe have sex, you know. I think it was about 2013 um, when I was studying abroad in Prague. There was this gay bar I frequented. Um, I was sort of blackout drunk, but I remember the sort of ambiance was almost like a New York gay bar, but Euroified. Lots of strobe lights. There was, I think, like a pickup truck shooting out of the side of it, you know, sort of techno music. It was like a labyrinth. The deeper you got in, the more debaucherous it got. And I think on some level I knew that. But the way it was set up, it was sort of like tiered. So you walk down a set of steps and then you get to 
the main bar. And then there was sort of another <laughs> incline downward, and that was the, the back room, which I was always too afraid to go to. But on this particular day, I, I had sort of a bout of liquid courage and frankly kind of blackout. And I went into the back room, and I, I honestly don't remember much that happened. All I know is after spending some amount of time in there, I sort of came to and I ran as a full speed out of the dungeon, through the bar, up the stairs, and into the street with absolutely no belongings, no jacket, and I was sopping wet. But what I assume had to have been urine, and I think I must have been peed on. So essentially, I, I ran full speed through the bar, definitely had some people looking at me, what's wrong with him, and ran quite a few blocks, sopping wet in the cold dripping in the heat. So that's my abroad sex story. It was quite liberating. I just don't know why I would be really wet like that. <laughs> if it wasn't pee, I don't think there's... It wasn't like a Russian bathhouse where they're like pouring eucalyptus water on you. It's just like there was no reason to be wet. And also it, it makes me wonder why I left my jacket, which I, I don't know. It was gone forever though. I had my, I think I checked my bag and I wore the jacket. So the jacket is now a scat feature in the bar. All right, we're going to take a quick break, but more sex stuff when we get back. Stick around. Yeah, I'd say a lot of the comments we get, whether it's in person or on the videos we post, just online in general, like 50% of the feedback is, this is disgusting. And I totally understand that it seems kind of gross to go to places that are pretty specifically catered to sex and different, like, very sex-centered activities. And I do think that they tend to be on the grosser side, to be totally honest. So we pretty quickly started traveling with Lysol, bleach. Like, I'm not afraid to totally clean a room upon arrival so that I can fully enjoy it. So I also used to be a maid at a hotel, and I know that not every room is going to get super cleaned. So especially going to a room that you know is being used for dirty activities, like, yeah, be prepared. I'm Margaret. I'm half of a pretty cool hotel tour. And my name's Corey. I'm the other half of a said hotel tour. <laughs> yeah, so we are a married couple. We got married almost 10 years ago. And I'd say maybe five years-ish ago, I started discovering the world of love hotels, theme hotels, fantasy suites, which I had no idea existed before. So. I think the first time we kind of stumbled into one is I knew that there was a heart-shaped tub somewhere near New York and we were going to be in New York and I was like, let's go find that heart-shaped tub. Having no idea it was an entire resort from the 60s and 70s when that was like the honeymoon capital of the world. So we quite literally just stumbled upon an entire resort that was full of like really romantic lighting, uh, champagne glass-shaped tubs, heart-shaped pools, just like everything was just dripping in like pink, frilly romance. And I was like, how do we not know about this? Because this seems like the coolest thing I've ever experienced in my entire life. Yeah, I'd say after that, I pretty much went home and spent the next week just Googling around to find more of these very bizarre, beautiful places. 
weeks and I was like, are we going to tell people that our new obsession is like finding romance-centered hotels that are like couples only, sex swings, mirrors on the ceiling? Or are we going to be like, let's not advertise that. And then obviously one day we decided to heavily advertise it. And so we did. For me, I mean, some of the most memorable ones are just the ones that you walk in and and the theme just kind of completely overtakes you, whether it's like a jungle room where literally there's just trees and fake plants in your face, just hanging down. And then maybe your your bed is kind of closed in with other fake trees, or there's a, an amazing space room that I'm obsessed with out in Illinois. They have starry skies, they have black lights all, the, all over the room. The bed is literally like a spaceship UFO thing you have to climb into, or like the Hawaii themed room. You have to turn on a volcano to like get the tub to fill, or the, the sandwich bed that is literally a sandwich that you climb into. One of the skeezier theme hotels in Chicago has a picnic themed room and the bed is just a very large sandwich. And then the table is a very large napkin dispenser. <laughs> and it's just, it's definitely one of the places that I could not sleep there because it was overwhelming, but they rent by the hour. So it was super cheap and we got to experience a sandwich bed. And yes, we brought sandwiches and it was great. Yeah, I think there's a sense of pride in us for finding the things that people would normally find despicable and having it be something that like we can fully enjoy and we're not being inauthentic about. I think we're kind of like, yeah, sure, let's go there because other people are going to be turned off by these things and we can withstand it. And maybe we sleep at the Holiday Inn down the street, but we at least got to experience the room. One of my absolute favorite things we've ever come across on this hotel tour journey was an under the sea themed room, which of course had your heart shaped tub, had your mirrors, but the bed is just a massive seashell, like just huge, like a king size circle bed. That's a complete seashell carved headboard and base. I also love that hotel. It's called the Black Swan Inn in Idaho. I love it because it's run by a married couple who have just been making these theme rooms over the last, what, 10 or 20 years. And they do them all themselves. So they, they paint these murals, they piece these rooms together. And you can just tell that this room, there was so much love and thought put into it, into this specific fantasy. Yeah, I'll never forget the experience walking into the Castlewood Cottages Hotel. This was the hotel in Big Bear that has a lot of medieval decorations. When we were inside of the Castle Garden Hotel, it was one of the most memorable experiences I've ever had. It literally felt like we were in medieval times and not just the restaurant and entertainment. Like this was like a private experience for you to uh, have your own medieval time. And that was wild. It was actually like stone paths, real swords, like actual suit of armor that I wore, whether or not I was supposed to, I did. I'm not certain of the fallout from that. But that was incredible. Yeah, I think those are the things that we walk away and are just like, wow, we got to completely dive into that world and not think about regular life for a while because we were in a castle that night. Like we weren't in Big Bear, California. We were in a castle. So those are pretty cool. The least sexy theme. I think any oh, I theme can. can be sexy. I, maybe you. Yeah, I've got first. one. I Go mean, I'm just I'm scared of guns, and so there was a hotel called the Don Q Inn in Wisconsin, 
and they have like a shotgun room and there's just guns mounted all over the walls and i'm just like terrified of it like i and so yeah that's that scared me going in there so any like swords i'm not as scared of for some reason because i guess just the the marketing for swords is better than for guns for me but the the gun rooms not really a fan of it that is very true you are not a fan I'm trying to think of how to describe the types of people that go to these places. I feel like one of the things I loved when we first discovered these places was that everyone who was there was fully there to enjoy the experience. And it didn't feel like there were people who were just there to like, I don't want to be anti-influencer because clearly we're going to these places and we're advertising them and we're, we're taking photos and videos. But one of the best parts about going to Copenhagen when we first went was like, no one was really there to see or be seen taking Instagram photos, all that stuff. I think the clientele, at least up until this point, has been an older generation, people who knew these places existed and have existed for a long time. But I think there's a new awareness that's starting to happen around the younger generation of like what these places are and what they could be. And I think I try to be very vocal on our page about how what makes these places really cool and unique is the fact that they're these vintage theme hotels that are put together from another era. And yeah, I think it's an interesting mixed crowd for sure. I think more than anything, we want these places to survive. We we want them to maybe not be so popular that like we can't get into them, but we want them to be doing well enough that we're not the only ones keeping them afloat. I really encourage people to try exploring this side of themselves because, at least for me, I had never experienced a world where sex was normal enough that you could have openly gone and enjoyed yourself in this way. And I think there's both that and the fact that I think people are ingrained to not see themselves as beautiful and whole as they are. And when you're in a room that you can't escape your self-image because it's quite literally on every mirror, on every surface, you kind of get to know yourself in a new way. And if you're going to be in a fantasy room that's showing you who you are constantly and you want to actually experience the fantasy and like let go a little bit, stop taking everything so seriously and enjoy this part of you, I think it pushes you to a new level, both in your own life and in your relationship. If you want to keep up with Margaret and Corey's journey across the United States of sex hotels, follow their Instagram, a pretty cool hotel tour. There's a link in our description. Hey, I'm Tiana Atride, and I am an associate editor at Thrillist. I feel like I should put a disclaimer in and say that if you're going to do this, always freaking make sure that somebody knows who you're with. Turn your uh, location services on, like social media stock heavily if you have to beforehand, get their info. However, that being said, I think Tinder and online dating in general is literally the best thing you can use while you travel. It is the ultimate travel tool. <laughs> I feel like it's something that I do on most trips, honestly. And the best result happened while I was on a work trip, haha, in Iceland. <laughs> 
and met the Viking love of my dreams. <laughs> I'm saying that while my boyfriend is like literally sitting in the next room. But <laughs> I wish I could say that the story started in Iceland, but I'm actually one of those losers that paid for Tinder gold beforehand. I usually start swiping like before I even get on the plane to go to another place. So I was kind of swiping through, looking through the inventory and, you know, I had my good matches going on and I started talking to this dude. I don't think I should probably say this person's name. I don't know. I'll just call him. Yeah, I'll just call him my, my Viking king for the rest of this. <laughs> so we kind of passed back and forth a few messages. He was like a little bit cold seeming, which threw me off because I feel like most of the guys on Icelandic Tinder were like surprisingly very, very enthusiastic, like very, very friendly. I fly out and I got to Iceland at like 6 a.m. and I kind of wandered around all day. And I was kind of messaging guys throughout the day, seeing like, oh, is there anybody that I can like meet to go out with? So I get to the evening and I decided to meet up with this one guy at this bar called Lebowski Bar. So we went out and I met up with him and he just was kind of a weirdo. He kind of got on my nerves a little bit. He just was very like wide-eyed and spacey and was talking about like foraging mushrooms and his head was just in a totally another place. And the vibe was just off. So I was like, you know what, Tiana, maybe this is just not your night. So I go back home, it must be like 11, 11.30 by now. And I was like, you know what, maybe I'm too jet lagged. I'm just not gonna bother, fuck it for tonight, I'm done. Literally, I feel like the clock hits 11.30, 12 a.m. and all the fucking messages start coming in. Everybody's like, oh no, Tiana, like, wait a second, the, mid or the, the nightlife here doesn't start until like 2, 2.30 in the morning. Like, you gotta stay up. So you should come out with me, you should come in. I was like, okay, cool, so here we go. So I kind of chilled in my hotel room for a while and who do I get another message from but Viking King from before. So I was like looking at his photo and I was like, I feel like this is an opportunity <laughs> I cannot miss out on. So I trudge all the way back in the ice and snow back downtown. So we meet and I saw him sitting there and he's like this six foot five, like gorgeous Icelandic dude. And I was like, oh, thank fuck. I was there, I think it was like a four day trip and we just ended up hanging out the whole weekend. Like I would do my work stuff during the day. And then every day, every single night of the trip, we would just meet up at like two in the fricking morning and go out. Um, and so I know now the city really, really well because this dude just took me to like every freaking good bar in the city. We like went dancing, we had cocktails. I remember, I think it was like the last night, we went to a bunch of bars and then at the end of the night, it must have been like four, four, four thirty. We go to this last club. And I think the funniest thing about going out in Iceland as an American is that like, Everybody's very, very game to party. Like everybody stays out all fucking night. Everybody's drunk, <laughs> drunk as fuck. But the dancing is just like not as, <laughs> it's it's like somebody's like sweet, sweet parents or like somebody's sweet like aunt in a sweater dancing. It's just not that crazy. But this, me and this dude were just like, fuck it. And we were like grinding <laughs> in the middle of all these Icelandic like what is going on but it was the best night ever 
I think there's just something, there's always going to be a benefit, I think, to hanging out with anybody who's local, you know, romantic and sexual partner or not. It kind of allows you to skip over what you might find on Google or what you might think, oh, I looked that up and so and, you know, so and so guide said it was great. I think it just immerses you a little bit more than otherwise. One of the nights we like went back to the hotel room where I was staying and we just hooked up and we were, he was like in the shower and I was like still just sitting in the bed. This is so fucking corny. But I remember I was like, oh, I wonder if we'll ever see each other again. And he was like, honestly, yeah, I feel like we really will. I do think so. And I was like, wow, that's it. Like, you're my, this is my husband. I'm going to move to Iceland in a few years and we're going to ride away into the fjords. Yeah. And I don't know. I haven't seen him since, but we still follow each other on Instagram. I literally discovered the other day that I'm on his close friends list. So an impression was clearly made. But yeah, from that, I ended up writing a really, really great guide to Iceland. <laughs> I know all the great bars to go to and where to find the hot guys, evidently. So if anybody's trying to go to Iceland and have a good time, HMU. <laughs> yeah, I haven't told the story in a long time, so. <laughs> well, I don't know. Maybe I have, I don't remember doing it. All I do is good bites. Um, my name is James Christman. I'm on. I'm a cities editor at Thrillist. This is my story. <laughs> do you want me to just go? A couple of years ago, I was doing a solo trip from Amsterdam to Prague to Berlin, and I had never traveled alone before. And my plan was to just use Tinder to meet people while I was there. I feel like I'm past the age where I really want to be like staying in hostels and like dealing with cold showers and uh, drunk British people, frankly. So I was like staying in Airbnbs and I booked all these up. So I got into Amsterdam and this was through Airbnb. Got to the place and like this, just the most European looking guy in the world. Answered the door and he was like super nice and he was like, you're alone, right? And I was like, yes, I'm alone. It's like, okay, great. And then I went out, did my thing, walked around, got high, looked at stuff. It was a really pleasant experience. And then like met, uh, met up with this friend of a friend later and we ended up going out dancing and everything. And so she like walked me home or whatever. And then, you know, you know, you end up smooching along the canals or whatever, as one does. It's a romantic place. So we go back and are intimate with one another. Um, <laughs> and uh, she stays the night. And so like in the morning, we're lying in bed. We're talking for like a really long time about our lives and our aspirations and da 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 da. And then all of a sudden I just hear this knock on the door and that European guy's voice being like, James, uh, you know, <laughs> I was like, yeah, one minute. And so like, I like get out of bed and get dressed and everything. And I go out and he's, he's standing there and he has this expression on his face that I like can't read. He was like, did you have a good night? And I was like, is this guy like broing down with me? Is he like, bro, like, he just like got me out into the hallway to like ask if I had a good night. And like, 
there's a pause. So like, I think that is what he means. So I was like, oh yeah, bashful. And he was like, good, because now you have to leave. And I was like, and I had three more days left on my stay. And again, like no internet on my phone or anything. And I was like, what? Like, I, I don't understand. And he was like, you brought somebody into my home. You said you were alone here and you brought someone here and you have to go right now. And I was like, just flipping out. And I was like, I'm so, I'm so, so sorry. I did not realize I wasn't allowed to have guests. Personally, like I didn't mean to like betray your trust or whatever, like I'm really sorry. And I was like, but I don't have anywhere to go. And then I was like, I'll pay you more. And he was like, no, like you have to go. And so I went back in the room and she was there and obviously she had heard the entire conversation. I guess I was like putting things into my bag or whatever and just being like, well, this is awful. And then uh, there was like another knock on the door and he said my name again. So I went out there again, again, like, you know, trying to keep the door a little closed so he didn't like see her in bed. But then he was like, fine, give me 50 euros or something like that. And uh, I did, and he let me stay. Then I had to like interact with them for the next three days after I had, from his perspective, profoundly betrayed his trust and broken our sacred contract. But like, they did invite me to have breakfast with them one day but I was too ashamed, so I didn't do it. And I'm sure I would have gotten like a lot of great tips about the city from them, but I just, I couldn't do it. <laughs> so uh, in my defense, there wasn't anything specifically stating that you couldn't have other guests in this apartment. Yeah, so I did all this and like, you know, I, I just looked up the amount that I paid and I was paying like $600. Like, I mean, it was like a, a pretty good chunk of money and then like 50 euros on top of that. So, I don't know, I, some people pointed this out to me afterward that like maybe he had always intended to take the money and that it was an idle threat, which I did not consider in the situation at all. Maybe because I'm from Ohio, I don't know. But like, yeah, I think it's entirely possible he was extorting me, but also I kind of respect that more. All right, we're going to take another quick break, but we'll be right back to wrap things up. Stick around. Okay, so a big thanks to the Thrillist podcast team, editors Abby Austria and Dean White, who also mixed this episode, producers Jake Rasmussen and Nia Fask, Jim D'Amico, Megan Kirsch, Brett Kushner, Emily Feld, and from iHeartRadio, Mangesh Hadakudar. All right, you made it to the end of the episode, so I will leave you with a fun fact. The Mile High Club was technically invented more than a century before airplanes were. Uh, in the late 1700s, one very horny British dude bet another very horny British dude that he couldn't have sex in a hot air balloon, and then the guy did that. So I guess technically he is the first member of the Mile High Club, allegedly. Uh, let's leave on that note. Thanks for listening. See you next week. Bye.